Monday, everyone. This is Garrison Hardy with your Cross Politic Daily News Brief for Monday, July 25th, 2022. I'm here to bring you your weekly dose of what you may have missed over the weekend. For those keeping count, there have been over 100 attacks against pro-life groups, many carried out by Jane's Revenge since May. Ah, yes, ladies and gentlemen, the side of tolerance and acceptance is at it again. According to the Post Millennial, a new report detailed over 100 attacks against pro-life organizations across the country since the leak of Justice Samuel Alito's draft majority opinion in the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization case that eventually led to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Many of the attacks have been attributed to Jane's Revenge, a far-left activist group. Ah! What gave that away? That has claimed responsibility for the violence, almost like Al-Qaeda. Lawmakers called the group to be designated a terrorist organization. There you go. According to the articles compiled by the Family Research Council, the summer of rage across the country has included not only demonstrations in front of the Supreme Court and the homes of justices, but also dozens of acts of violence, destruction, and harassment aimed at intimidating anti-abortion conservatives and Christians. Jane's Revenge took its name from the Jane Collective, a 1960s pro-abortion group, and has gained support from left-wing activists, especially those in the Madison, Wisconsin area. A Homeland Security analyst theorized that Jane's Revenge was a loose-knit collection of activists rather than a formal organization. However, Robert Evans, who first obtained the initial statement from Jane's Revenge, theorized that the group was aiming to inspire copycats through their tactics and messaging online, where the organization has thrived, especially on Twitter. Two days before the first Molotov cocktail attack on Wisconsin Family Action on May 8, 2022, a Facebook page of a group called International Workers of the World, IWW, of Madison, Wisconsin, posted a history of the Jane Collective. The outlet added that last year the IWW Madison shared multiple posts promoting violent behavior, including a primer on how to fight state oppression by protesting and evading law enforcement. Other activist groups rallied around the attack on Wisconsin Family Action. A group calling themselves Unnamed Autonomous Collective published a statement lauding the attack and calling for more. Gosh, cheery stuff. Cheery way to start our Monday. And it gets better, folks. Let's change gears for a minute. Remember when Pastor Doug Wilson wrote Ride Sally Ride? And then not long after, a man actually married a robot? Literally not long after the book was released. Well, how about the people who have accused Doug or condemned him of being friends to pedophiles. On Darren Doan's show, All of My Friends Are Heretics, check it out, by the way, you can find it on YouTube, and the link is here in the show notes, Doug mentioned how those very same people will be friends to pedophiles at some point. Well, maybe we're closer to that than we realized. TEDx speaker argues that pedophilia should be accepted as an unchangeable sexual orientation. Miriam Hine presented her talk, Pedophilia is a Natural Sexual Orientation, at the University of Würzburg in Germany and said that pedophilia is like any other sexual orientation. While Hine clarified her comments by noting that abusing children is wrong without any doubt, she said that a pedophile who doesn't abuse children has done nothing wrong. Well, Jesus mentioned something about committing adultery after lusting after woman in your heart, but I digress. Due to the backlash it received, TEDx eventually removed the video, though I'm sure you can still find it on Twitter or YouTube. 
It may have received backlash now, but nowadays homosexuality is widely accepted, even by so-called conservatives. 71% in a recent Gallup poll approved of it or accepted it, if I recall my last news brief correctly. Folks, this is why you need to come to our Fight, Laugh, Feast conference, because we're just, I believe, three months away now, about three months away from our Fight, Laugh, Feast conference in Knoxville, Tennessee, October 6th through the 8th. Don't miss Beer and Psalms, our amazing lineup of speakers, which includes George Gilder, Jaron Longshore, Pastor Wilson, Dr. Ben Merkel, Pastor Toby, and we can't say yet. But also don't miss our awesome vendors, meeting new friends, and stuff for the kids, too like Jumpy Castles and Accidental Infant Baptisms. I mean, the the stuff I've been covering in my news brief thus far, that's why you need to come to this, because we need to be ready to fight the lies, the propaganda, and we need to be ready to come with the serrated edge. So, you can sign up. You can still save money on this, by the way, by signing up for a club membership. So go to fightlaughfeast.com and sign up for a club membership, and then register for the conference with that club discount We can't wait to fellowship, sing psalms, and celebrate God's goodness in Knoxville, October 6th through the 8th. In other news, Biden is once again trying to hit an all-time low, this time with our emergency oil reserve. With strategic petroleum reserve at its lowest level since 1985, the U.S. is still selling stockpiled oil to China. While the U.S. strategic petroleum reserve stockpiles have fallen at their lowest since 1985, every congressional Democrat voted Wednesday to continue sending oil from the SPR to China. Supplies have continuously dwindled since President Joe Biden entered office, but they started rapidly declining after Russia invaded Ukraine. In response, Biden sold millions more of the barrels from the reserves in April. During Biden's first month in office, the U.S. had about 638 million barrels in its reserve by March. One month into Russia's invasion of Ukraine, reserves had fallen to 565 million barrels. And by July, 480 million barrels were left in the SPR, according to data from the U.S. Energy Information Administration. America's reserves have not been so low since June 1985 when the country was still building the SPR. Still building. (laughs) Last week, Biden touted his actions to bring down oil prices. Quote, I've been releasing about a million barrels of oil a day from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and rallied our global partners to release a combined 240 million barrels of oil onto the market, he tweeted. Our actions are working and our prices are coming down. You mean like they always do in the summer. While average U.S. gas prices have tapered down from the peak of $5 a gallon, their highest level ever, Gas is still significantly more expensive under Biden than any previous administration, Gas Buddy data shows. In response to the dwindling SPR, Rep. David Valadao, Republican of California, offered a motion in the House last week to immediately consider legislation that would prohibit the sale of oil drawn from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to entities under the control of the Chinese Communist Party or for export to China, he said in a press release. Every House Democrat voted against his motion. That same day, 19 House Republicans sent a letter to Energy Secretary Jennifer Granham demanding to know why her department sold nearly a billion barrels of SBR oil to an American subsidiary of Sinopec, a Chinese company in which Hunter Biden invested heavily. Earlier this month, Republican senators introduced legislation seeking to stop oil sales to China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran. Quote, it's inexplicable that Biden would allow oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to be exported to China. 
That's from Ted Cruz. In other horrible economy news, <laughs> the U.S. Postal Service is back at it again. They're set to make 40% of new mail trucks electric. Great. The United States Postal Service has announced plans to make at least 40% of its new delivery fleet electric. Back in February, the USPS had already said that it would produce 165,000 new generation delivery vehicle trucks from Oshkosh Defense, in which 10% would be electric. But in July, in a July 20th press release, the organization announced a new plan to buy 84,500 vehicles of which 40% are estimated to be battery electric vehicles, BEVs, BEVs. The 84,500 vehicles will include 50,000 NGDVs and 34,500 commercial off-the-shelf COTS vehicles, COTs. Of the 50,000 NGDVs, the minimum BEV percent is set to rise to 50%, up from 10%. The the 34,500 COTS vehicles will be purchased over a two-year period. Quote, the Postal Service reiterates its commitment to be fiscally fiscally responsible. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Rollout of electric-powered vehicles for America's largest and oldest federal fleet. New NGDVs are expected to start servicing postal routes in late 2023, the release said. The Postal Department is anticipating to evaluate and produce more vehicles over shorter time frames so as to be more responsive to changing market conditions, technology improvements, and an evolving operational strategy. That's from USPS. USPS's original decision to buy 165,000 vehicles with 10% BEVs had attracted criticism from environmental groups. Of course, it's never enough. 16 states and several pro-environment groups filed lawsuits seeking to prevent USPS from buying gas-powered vehicles, arguing that such a move would trigger environmental harm for several decades. Of course, the end is near. The push to make USPS adopt electric cars is based on the assumption that electric vehicles are more environmentally friendly than combustion engine vehicles. Multiple studies, however, have shown this to be false. In a 2018 article for Politico, Jonathan Lesser, the president of Continental Economics revealed that newer combustion engine vehicles tend to be really clean when compared to old ones. Today's combustion engine vehicles emit only about 1% of the pollution that they did in the 1960s, and new innovations continue to improve those engines, efficiency, and cleanliness, Lesser wrote. After taking into consideration that U.S. Energy Information Administration's projected number of new electric vehicles, Lesser found that the net reduction in CO2 emissions between 2018 and 2050 will only be about one-half of 1% of total forecast U.S. energy-related carbon emissions. Wow. One-half of 1%. This is a change so small that it will have no impact whatsoever on climate, Lesser asserts. A 2020 study by Michael Kelly, the emeritus Prince Philip Professor of Technology at the University of Cambridge, found that if the UK were to replace all of its combustion engine vehicles with electric vehicles, the country will need almost twice the annual global production of cobalt, at uh, almost the entire world's nedium, over 50% of the world's 2018 copper production, and three-quarters of the global output of lithium carbonate. If all vehicles in the world were to be electrified, it would need such a large output of raw materials that even exceeds the known reserves of these materials. The environmental impact of mining these materials on such a large scale, some of which are toxic, would be massive. 
unbelievable, yet they still push for it. Folks, again, this is why you need to come to our conference so you can cut through this propaganda with a serrated edge. But also, this is why we need to be educating our kids. And well, Classical Conversation supports homeschooling parents by cultivating the love of learning through a Christian worldview and fellowship with other families. We provide a classical Christ-centered curriculum, local like-minded communities across the United States and in several countries, and they train parents who are striving to be a great classical educators in the home. For more information and to get connected, please visit their website at classicalconversations.com. Again, that is classicalconversations.com. And finally, it's the topic that I love. You all know it, sports. Pete Rose will be on Philly's field for the first time since his lifetime ban uh, from the MLB. That was 33 years ago. Pete Rose is back, sort of. The 81-year-old will return to a major league diamond soon, making his first appearance in Philadelphia in August since he was banned from baseball. The sport's all-time hits leader will be at the Phillies alumni weekend and will be introduced on the field along with his former teammates from the 1980 World Series championship team on August 7th. That team's shortstop, Larry Boa, broke the news on Saturday night during the Phillies TV broadcast of their game against the Cubs. The Phillies said in a statement that they, quote, received permission from the commissioner's office to invite Rose and the team consulted with Rose's teammates from the 1980 club and everyone wants him there. In August of 1980, or 1989, sorry, <laughs> Rose was banned from the game following an investigation that found he bet on the Reds to win several games between 1985 and 87 while he was their manager. Rose applied for reinstatement in 2015, but it was rejected by Commissioner Rob Manfred. It's now been 33 years since Pete Rose accepted a permanent ban for betting on baseball, and it's still one of the most hotly debated topics in all of professional sports. This has been your Cross Politic Daily News Brief. If you like the show, share it far and wide. If you want to sign up for our conference, become a club member, or subscribe to our magazine, you can do all of that at fightlapbeast.com. And as always, if you'd like to become a corporate partner with Cross Politic, email me at garrison at fightlapbeast.com. For Cross Politic News, I'm Garrison Hardy. Have a great day, and Lord bless.